great day that we can come on a on a, a day like today, but yet, you know, celebrate. I gotta pull this up a little bit. Hold on. But we can celebrate, and we can come, and we can celebrate the Lord's Supper together, as a family, as those who are blood-bought people of the King. It is good to see familiar faces that haven't been here, and uh, I'm glad you're here, and new faces that are here, please uh, make them feel welcomed and loved as you guys did for Jenny and I. That would be a, a real blessing. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. we'll pray and then we'll we'll dig in Father we thank you that we can come into your presence now Father and look into your word Lord we thank you for the time you have given us to worship you in our song and in our singing for you have given us time to worship you in our giving. And now, Father, we come to you and we pray that our worship and the preaching of your word is pleasing to you. Father, I ask that you would come and accompany the preaching of your word. Father, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged that you would show us much of Christ, Lord, that we would see him in all of his glory, yet we would see him in all of his humiliation also, that we would adore him more as we leave, that we would be drawn closer to him, Lord, as we see your great love displayed on the cross. Father, would you please do this for us as we come to you now. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Philippians chapter 2, we have this section where Paul talks about the, the exaltation of Jesus, then his descent into his humiliation, and then his exaltation again that we see. And so please look at me uh, with Philippians 2. We're going to start with, with verse 6. Actually, we'll start with verse 4. This is what the word says. It said, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is Christ's exaltation, his descent into his humiliation, and then his exaltation again that we just 
read. What I want us to look at today is just the first two parts. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8, and we're going to be a little bit more theological in what we look at because we're going to look at what some of these words mean and what they look like. And so this is what we come to. And as we come to communion and our hearts are there, let's see how Christ is exalted. So the first thing I want us to look at is that Christ is exalted in the form of God. He's exalted in the form of God. Verse 6 says this, Who though, at the end of verse 5 says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So that word was can be interpreted in different versions. It can mean being, or it can mean existed. So we could read it as Christ Jesus being in the form of God, or Christ Jesus existed in the form of God. So that word, it's a continuous word. It means that he continually was God. He continually existed in the form of God. This is what it is. This word existed, it means to, uh, it's talking about a person's nature. It's who he is. This is what Paul is saying. He's showing the incarnation of Jesus. This is what we're going to see is the incarnation, his godliness, and then him coming to man. But first, he shows us his 100% that he is God. And he says this, in his nature, he is God. Everything about him is God. And then he uses the word form. He says that he was in the, the form of God. This is essentially, it's his unchanging character. It's pretty much what it is, is in and of itself. So we see that Paul says that Jesus, in and of himself, down to his very core, to his very being of who he is, is God. And he's always been God. And he'll always be God. He's continually God. This is his exaltation. We see him exalted as the person of God, the Son of God. John 1.1 1, 1 puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then we read down in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh. So we know that this is Jesus. Jesus was in the form of God. He existed as God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says it this way. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God who is the image of God. Christ continually, always has been, by nature, God. He is the one who said, let there be light. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. This is who Christ is. But he's not only existed in the form of God, but he was equal to God. He's equal to God. Philippians 2, 6 again. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was equal in every way with God. This word equal means consistent, exactly the same in quality, 
or content. He was equal every way. He's 100% God. And we see where Jesus makes these claims in the Gospel of John. In John 5.18, says this, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. John 10.33, as a good shepherd, the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. John 10.38, But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And then again in John 14.9, Jesus talking to Philip, he says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And then finally in John 10, 20, 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. We see this equality that Jesus has with God, the Father. And we see it within the triune God, right? We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're all one. They are all equal. They are all equally God. There's not one that is less God and one that is more God. There's not one who is less holy and one who is more holy. There's not one who is more powerful and one that's less powerful. No, they are all one, and they are all equal. Even when Jesus was here, in his humanity, he was equally and fully God. Yet they didn't see him as that. They didn't see him as that. So we see that Paul brings us right away. He says that Jesus is the one who existed as God continually. He was in the form of God. He was equal with God. But then we see this descent now. We see this descent as he brings us to this part. He says that he did not grab this equality as something to be grasped. We see Jesus' humility. If you go back in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? This is what we see in Jesus. We see this descent. We see Jesus now putting aside himself for you and I. We see this descent. Right? We see this descent. He didn't claim this equality to be grasped. This is what he did. Verse 6, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now this word grasp, it means to seize or to, or to retain with an eager grasp, to hold on tightly. We've all held on to something really tightly, whether it be something material, whether it be someone in our lives. We've always held on to something tightly. And this is what he's talking about, this, this grasp. Right? Jesus did not hold on to this equality with God. It's something that he's going to hold on tightly to. But what does the Bible tell us he did? It says he emptied himself. This is what he does. Jesus empties himself. He makes himself nothing. The king of glory... The one in Isaiah 6 who is seated on the throne makes himself nothing. 
This is his humiliation. This is his humanity. This is his humility. He emptied himself. He divests oneself, one's prerogatives. He puts his prerogatives aside. Notice that he doesn't put his deity aside. He doesn't put his nature. He doesn't put his character. He doesn't put his godness aside. That's what he doesn't empty himself of. He empties himself of prerogatives by making himself nothing. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we see this, making himself nothing. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If you are a believer in Christ, and you sit here today as a believer in Christ, you are rich. Because Jesus became poor. We are rich. And it's not because we got a big house or we got a small house or areas we live or toilets that flush. It's because we are in Christ Jesus. That is why we are rich. Because we are in Him. Listen to what Matthew says about Him being made nothing. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Remember what we talked about. This one who is God, this one who existed as God, continually exists as God. This one who is in glory with God, his Father, says what? I have nowhere to lay my head. He's essentially homeless. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, is homeless. The one who created all things, the heavens and the earth exist because of him. He has nowhere to lay his head. You see his humiliation? You see his descent? You see where we're going? He's going from glory to here, to where he has nowhere to lay his head. He empties himself of his prerogatives. What did he empty himself of then? He empties himself of his glory that he had with the Father. Listen to John seventeen five. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus was in glory. He emptied himself of this glory to what to became to make nothing, to be made nothing, to be spat upon, to have his beard ripped out, to have his hair ripped out, to have a crown of thorns shoved in his head, to be flogged. This is what he did, brothers and sisters. He emptied himself of all of that glory that he had with the Father. And in his high priestly prayer, he prays, bring me back to that glory that I the glory that we will share one day with him. He, his prerogatives, his privileges that he let go was his independent authority. He m submitted himself to the Father's will. He submitted himself to the Father's will. Matthew twenty six thirty nine. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. This is him in the garden saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We know he did this three times. He went back. Your will, your will, this cup be passed for me. 
but he did he emptied himself of all of his independent authority and submitted and yield to the father's will and what was the father's will the death of all deaths it was to go to the cross it was to pay for sin but first it was to glorify god but it was to pay for sin it was to save you and i it was so that we would be free. We read it. Free. Free. We're free. Sin has no dominion over us. John 5.30 says this. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus completely to do the will of the Father. That's why he was here to do the will of God. His divine prerogatives, submitting himself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We see this when the Holy Spirit takes him into the wilderness right away after his baptism to be tempted by the devil. The same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus is in you and I. Is in you and I. Jesus submitted himself to the Holy Spirit's leading. This is what he empties himself of. This is by making himself nothing. But not only that, we see as we further go in this descent that he takes on the form of what? A servant. He takes on the form of a servant. This is the same word for form, right, that we already looked at. He takes the form of a servant. This is uh, a male slave. We see in Philippians 2, 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. It's a male slave. He was the father's servant. He came to do the father's will. He's the father's servant. Isaiah tells us this in Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred. This was him on the cross. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. But he was God's servant on the cross, high and lifted up. Do we look at Christ's death as he is high and lifted up, that he is exalted? He is exalted because he's doing the will of the Father. This is what he is. He's exalted. But yet his appearance, his appearance, this is what the word is, was so marred beyond human semblance or resemblance could you imagine can you imagine the beating that jesus went through can you imagine what happened that when you looked at him on the cross you couldn't even see a man he didn't even resemble a human but here's the beauty of god right one of the criminals sees a king wow that's what happens that's what happens when God comes in. But Jesus was the servant. He was the father's servant. He came to serve. Matthew 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Jesus came to do, brothers and sisters. So we come to celebrate. When we take the cup and we take the bread we come to celebrate that Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you and me. 
So he came to serve. But then Paul says that he, be, he was human. He was human. He was 100% human. He was 100% God. Don't ask me to figure this out for y'all because I can't do it. I understand his humanity, but I don't understand being fully God and fully human. But that's what he says, right? This whole passage talks about him being fully God and fully human. This is what he says, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, human, by being born in the likeness of men, like you and I, human, and being found in human form. He was completely and fully human. This is what he was. He took on the attributes of you and I. He was in the appearance of a human. He was born in the likeness of man. Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, cannot do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. He was every bit like you and I. He was fully human. Think about that. Think about the exaltation, right? This is what we're looking at. He is exalted on high, and now he's what? He's human. He becomes just like his creation, is what he does. He becomes just like his creation, just like the ones he created. Galatians 4.4, 4, But when the fullness of time come, God sent for his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Born just like you and I. Born just like you and I. He took on all the attributes that you and I have. All the attributes of us. Listen to Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in every respect so that he might become, listen, brothers and sisters, listen to this, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He understands our weaknesses. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He gets it. Right? We live in this world where it's like, oh, you just don't get it. He gets it. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. He gets it. He understands it. He probably understands it better than you understand it. But he gets it. You want to know what? He got tired. He got hungry. He had emotions. Right? He wept. We read that. That he wept. He felt pain. I'm sure he felt pain. This is what he did. He got tired, hungry, emotions, pain. He had every bit of our humanity in him. This is what he did. So now we see that he was a servant. He was completely human in every way. And then what else takes place? Well, he becomes obedient. Right? He's obedient to the point of death on a cross. Right? Listen again to Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, listen, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbles himself. He continually humbles himself by becoming subject to the sufferings of the unbelievers to their beatings, right? To what he went through 
and his trial, the plucking of the beard, the hitting of the face, the flogging. Isaiah 53, 7 says this, he was oppressed. So if you think you're oppressed, guess what? Jesus gets it. He was afflicted. You think you're being afflicted by this world? Jesus gets it. Because he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that was before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. 1 Peter 2.23 puts it this way. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus subjecting himself to the suffering by unbelievers. Oppression, affliction. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And then finally, we see his death on a cross. We see his death on a cross. Now the Romans, they had perfected crucifixion, right? If we ever do any history, we know that the Romans perfected crucifixion. It was one of the most brutal ways to die. And before they would put you on that cross, they would flog you, right? They would flog you. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was flogged to the point where you saw all of his entrails. You saw his bones. You saw his muscles. You saw his, you know, his, his inners. You know, this is his flogging that we so easily just read over. We can't just easily read over this anymore. Brothers and sisters, this was brutal death. This was brutal crucifixion. Death on the cross was painful. He felt the nails in his hands. He felt the nails in his feet. And yet this was not the worst part. Because many a people went through this same stations of the cross. Many people went through the floggings. Many people went through the nailing. And we see that we read that he was marred beyond resemblance. But yet there's only one who's drank the wrath of God's cup. Only one who's drank it full without a drop left. You see, the beatings was not what Jesus was praying that would be removed from him. It was the cup that he wanted removed. It was the wrath of God for your sin, for my sin that he wanted removed. He knew that was the difficult part. Was when all of God's white hot wrath for sin was going to be poured on him. That's what it was. Death on the cross was degrading. It was degrading. You know, we get these pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross, and they're false. Because, see, Jesus was nude on the cross, it was degrading. It was humiliating. And yet this was the plan. Would that be your plan if you were God? Would that be your plan, all of you that have kids here? I'm going to send my son to go through all of that, and then I'm going to pour my wrath on him. That's why it's such a beautiful plan. That's why it's such a beautiful plan, because you want to know what? It has nothing to do with you and I. That's why it's a beautiful plan. Because there's... No work left for you and I. Salvation, right? We, we, we looked at it for 10 weeks. We looked at it. 
Christ and Christ alone has accomplished the work of God for us. Nothing left for us to do. Nothing for us to drink. It is all done. It's a de- it was degrading. Jesus was hung on a cross like a criminal, yet he was the most innocent person in the world. He was the Lamb of God, the unblemished, perfect Lamb of God hanging on that cross. And yet he will be exalted, right? That's what we read. Because of his death on the cross, Jesus will be exalted to the point where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Tell your friends, tell your families these things. Tell them the gospel and you tell them one thing. You will either bow before the king of glory now or you will bow later when he comes. But you will bow to him. This is the truth. This is his exaltation again. This is his exaltation again. Listen to Matthew 26, 39 as we... Oh, not Matthew 26, 39, I'm sorry. Acts 2, 23, my fault. Listen to what uh, Luke writes about Jesus' death. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This was God's design. So Jesus dies, but what do you do? He dies for his people. He dies for you and I. He He dies for those he calls to himself. This is who he dies for. He dies for his bride. He dies for his sheep, right? John 10, 11 says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the example that the elders here at Faith Bible are to follow. We are to be the ones that lay our lives down for the sheep. Why? Because we understand that the king of glory, the good shepherd, laid down his life for us he emptied himself he was made nothing he became a servant he was obedient to death even death on a cross brothers and sisters we should be obedient the same way even to death we should be obedient he dies for his bride Ephesians 5.25 husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her his bride his blood-bought people. This is what he does. This is what we come to celebrate today. We come to celebrate the death of Jesus. We get one time a month, we get to come and we get to see the blood that was shed for us. We get to see the body that was given for us. And we get to celebrate this. And Jesus says, do this and remember me. Remember what? Remember that I am God. Brothers and sisters, have you looked at your sin this way? We, we, we went into the, to the Pilgrim's Progress, right? And we, for those of you who are here for Sunday school, he, he's uh, combating what Apollyon is saying to him. And he says, oh, you haven't got the half of it. You don't know how bad of a sinner I am. You want to know how bad of a sinner you are? It took the infinite Son of God to die for your sin. That's how bad of a sinner you are. That's the truth. That it took Jesus God himself to propitiate God's wrath for you and I. Wow, what a love. And now he looks at you, and what does he call you? He calls you brother. He calls you saints. He calls you loved ones. 
He calls you my sheep. He calls you out of the sheepfold. Wow. That's what he does. He calls us these things now. We are in him. We are his children. This is why we rejoice. Is because when we look at the cross, we see that is where our adoption took place. That is where Jesus saves us. That is where God's glory is displayed. And we get to take part in that. This should be something we come to that just blows our minds. Please, don't let it be ho-hum. Because it's not ho-hum. It's not. Because of who it is 